Hey, Fire Dads, welcome, and thank you for listening to this episode of Fatherhood on Fire. I'm your host, Ryan Sullivan. We're here for parents striving to harmonize faith, family, career, and fitness. For many of you, it's probably never been a more challenging time to harmonize those things. You've probably got your kids in your house while you're trying to get your work done, hoping to get a workout in, and just really unsure of what is going on in the world. And this episode today that we got with Marty Samples is just like exactly what I needed. And and I hope you enjoy it as well. Um, He's just got this calm, sin-like sense about him. And when I ask him about it, um, what he shares is just so powerful. His vulnerability is so needed right now um, that, uh, you know, he can share what he does and still convey this sense of calm. Um, so love his energy at this time. Also loves just the language he uses and the gratitude he has for being a father. I think for me and probably for you, struggling, got the kids in the house, um, just maintaining that sense of gratitude. And the phrase he uses and how he expands on this, that it's a privilege to be their father has carried me through this week. So I hope it does the same for you. Um, Please share this episode on your social media with other fathers and friends who could use it. If you share it on social, we'll give you a shout out. Appreciate all the support for Fathering on Fire. Uh, We need each other now more than ever during this time. So I'm so excited and honored to share this interview with Marty Samples. Without any further ado, let's light the fire. Marty, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Glad to be joining. Do you mind just kind of elaborating on your background, giving us a, sure. a little more specific context there? Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from Southern Illinois. I grew up in Southern Illinois. Um, spent a big part of my life there, uh, college, uh, high school and college, playing baseball. I met my wife at uh, junior college there. Uh, we were married in uh, 1982. Uh, we've been married now almost 38 years. And I have two daughters. Uh, my daughter, Leah is uh, in her PhD program at uh, Penn, uh, where she's uh, she'll have a PhD in history. And, uh, and then my daughter, Hannah, works at Cummins as an accounting manager for policy. And then they're both married, uh, Leah to Jesse Luke and Hannah to uh, uh, Zach Suliff. Uh, I started my career in ministry. I was in ministry for about 25 years. Uh, most of my career in ministry was working with high-risk kids, I guess, to some degree. Uh, looking back at my background, I came from a challenging childhood, and so had some of that kind of experience in my childhood, and then consequently, that informed some of the kind of ministry I wanted to do. I uh, really wanted to work with kids who needed community of support, love, and encouragement. Uh, so I was in ministry 20, 25 years, uh, made a career transition, really worked in the technology sector, um, was bivocational for a number of years where I was doing ministry and doing technology, so uh, in the mid-90s through about 2000, 2001, was doing both. And then uh, 2003, uh, made a career transition, uh, went into uh, technology consulting and technology. Uh, at that time, worked for a large motorsports marketing company. It was kind of my first big technology gig. I was the director of new media there. And then since then, I've been in the uh, technology and, and marketing fields, you know, really for the last uh, 15 years. So. So definitely some really, I think, um, pertinent experiences kind of in this time as we're heading into 
some serious uncertainty. Um, how would you say that your experience in ministry and, and ministry and working with those Irish kids informed your own fathering style and how you went about loving and shepherding, you know, your kids? You know, interestingly enough, uh, part of my growing up years, I think one of the things I recognize in my own growing up is the need to have a loving and supporting community. During some critical times in my own development, uh, when I was 16, 17, I got involved in the church, and the church kind of provided that loving and supporting community to me. And so as I was working with youth over the course of my career, certainly that was a goal in, in terms of providing that for them, for a lot of high-risk kids I work with. But as a parent, as a father, I think my number one priority was to provide a loving and supportive environment as a dad. I realized that I would make a ton of mistakes as a dad and that no dad's perfect, but that uh, I was committed to making sure my daughters uh, felt loved and experienced love in our home. And so that was really a priority for me. It's just creating an environment where they would feel loved. And and over the course of the years, certainly uh, the church communities we were involved in, um, those communities provided a lot of love and support to our kids uh, at critical times in their lives. And certainly the church community wasn't perfect either, right? It has its own flaws and uh, blemishes, but, but there were a lot of people who provided love and support to us as a family in those communities. And that was certainly important for our kids growing up and for me as a father and so it was important that we provide that kind of environment at our home. So, Yeah, I think it's cool that you said, and this is something that, you know, the church community has its own own flaws that you kind of have to navigate. I think that's something that a lot of maybe young parents struggle with because, you know, the perception of the church is maybe that it's supposed to be this perfect place and like everybody treats people as you would expect them to. But obviously people are going to behave in their own way, regardless of the environment or, you know, you, you hope everybody comes with the best of intentions. but. How did you kind of navigate some of that with your family, if you don't mind taking into that? Sure. Because I was in ministry, I had an opportunity to uh, certainly had a, gr- a lot of great experiences in ministry, a lot of experiences where we had some, just worked with some wonderful people over the years, people who were good and kind and helpful to me as a dad and who were good to our kids in many ways. We developed some lifelong friendships, and those are all still very meaningful to us. But also, if you're in ministry, you're all your kids are also exposed to, you know, all of the things that uh, can occur behind the scenes. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes people can be critical and judgmental, and uh, people can be, you know, certainly petty in many ways. And I think for us as a family, we just tried to, you know, really understand that people aren't perfect. Even though you have strong and good relationships inside the church, there are also those people who can be fairly petty. And when you're in ministry, you're kind of the subject of a lot of those conversations, unfortunately. (laughs) You know, people may not like the way you preach or teach, or they may not like your lifestyle or your beliefs. And sometimes your kids can be exposed to that as much as I possibly could. I didn't try to lay those expectations on my children. My children in our home, we tried to develop a kind of a non-judgmental environment, non-critical environment, where we didn't superimpose on our kids a lot of the unrealistic standards that sometimes church people can have. Certainly that wasn't true of all church people. It was true of true of some, and we Mm -hmm. just didn't bring that stuff to our home and try to force our kids to be perfect kids. We let our kids be kids and encourage them to make their own decisions and encourage them to be who they are and to, to really not try to be something they weren't. So I think that helped. Yeah, that's, um, I love the phrase, like unrealistic expectations, standards. I know I fall victim to that, I'm trying to hold myself to that and the fear that I would 
kind of force those on my children is something that I want to be really cognizant of. So let's kind of fast forward a little bit. You went through that and then you transitioned out of ministry into tech and you've been in kind of a time like just post tech boom, Oh three, that's when you went yeah, full time. So, sure. so maybe this is kind of good timing. How did you navigate that transition during uncertain economic times? And like, what lessons are you applying to the current situation that we're in? I think for me, at a time when our daughters were uh, really in high school and junior high, wanted to be able to provide them an environment where, you know, during ministry, we moved quite a lot. I wanted to be stable. I wanted to be in in a place where we could be in the same home, same community Mm -hmm. uh, and provide some stability. So for me, uh, that move out of ministry into technology afforded me the ability to do that. Uh, as you know, many people in ministry, you don't make a lot of money. And so being able to transition into technology, part of it was we just really wanted to be able to provide for our children uh, better, provide them some of the things they needed. And so that transition for me was challenging in many ways because you move from being a leader in the church where your full-time job is ministry to now you're a volunteer and sustain connected to the church was sometimes challenging. Um, we did, but we had to be intentional about that during our daughter's kind of growing into adult years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think making that transition too, for me, I basically had to learn a whole new way of operating because, you know, corporate environments are different. Their standards are different. Their lifestyle standards are different. I went into a motorsports marketing company, one of the biggest in the world, and uh, a lot of the people in that environment were good people, certainly, but not all of them shared the same lifestyle uh, priorities that I shared. And so I think in that environment, you're under a lot of pressure to behave a certain way or adopt a certain lifestyle. I think you, you have to kind of know what you believe. And in some cases, I made the right decisions. And in some cases, I made mistakes. Uh, one of the things I like to be upfront about is, you know, I'm an imperfect person and I've made good decisions and bad. And uh, in that navigating being in a, a new environment where you know you're not around Christian people in your job all the time certainly had its challenges and mm-hmm. I think the biggest challenge is just uh, maintaining your own belief system and doing the things you think are right in that environment so and I, I know when we talked uh, beforehand I love I just kind of asked about what that transition was like and you said really there's there's a lot of parallels between ministry and leadership. It's just about loving people and meeting them where they're at to get them to where they want to go. Can you uh, elaborate on sure. the parallels that you've kind of found and that you've used? Yeah, I think um, empowering people and, and really creating environments and spaces for them to be the best version of themselves is important in ministry and it's important in, in the work environment. Over the last five years, I've worked with Fusion Alliance and uh, had an opportunity to uh, really lead and grow a team there. Interestingly enough, the team was filled with a lot of great leaders. And I think being a good leader means empowering people to be their own persons, to understand who they are. As a leader, you're a student of their design, and you want to find ways to empower them to really do the things they do well. Uh, be their best version of themselves, to provide support and coaching, but also to understand that you're learning from your team members as well. They're helping teach you about how to be a better leader and how to be more empowering and a better coach. And so I think in ministry, it's about empowering people to be the best version of themselves. And I think that's true in the workplace too. Because interestingly enough, uh, good leaders, I think, are leaders that don't feel like they have to always be right 
or feel like they have to always be the star or the ones in, in the spotlight, uh, you're really helping other people succeed. Mm. I think that's not too different than ministry, really, in many ways. So, And it's being supportive and creating an environment where people know you care. Emotional intelligence has become kind of a buzzword in the marketplace, but really emotional intelligence is shorthand for being sensitive to the people around you, being aware of who they are, their needs, their interests, their passions, their skills, and uh, really enabling them to reach their own potential. So I think that's similar in terms of ministry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always leery of buzzwords. So like, I appreciate emotional intelligence. Um, Obviously it's good that it's getting, I think more attention, but like you said, there's nothing new about caring about other people and wanting them to succeed. And I think especially in the current situation, that type of leadership, that humble leadership is going to be crucial. So to, to spin a little bit now, you're the father of adult children who are mm-hmm. pursuing a PhD in history is a daunting task. I got my master's in history, so I got a small taste of that world and the challenge there and an accounting major. So did you foresee that kind of level of ambition and pursuit in your children at a young age or what is it to be the, the father of adult children now? Give me the scoop on that. You know, the, the good news is I've got amazing daughters. I think every parent thinks they've got amazing children. Uh, certainly, so I'm not suggesting that uh, I'm the only one who has amazing children, but and I'm not taking a lot of credit for that, really. I'm, what I would tell you is that I have amazing daughters. Uh, Lee and Hannah are just strong women leaders. Their mother deserves a lot of credit for that. She's a very strong woman leader person of uh, integrity and honesty. But as, as I was watching them grow up, I certainly noticed amazing traits in both my daughters. And they're different. They're very different people, but both very amazing people. And I'm, and I'm fortunate because they also married husbands who are very, not only very talented uh, guys, Jesse and Zach, but both just great husbands and, and great, great leaders in the home. So, so yeah, I, I think at a very early age, I, what I noticed is I noticed both of them they had unique designs. Mm-hmm. Each of them had unique interests and passions. But to be frank, they both kind of come into their own as adults. Uh, both amazing children, but both came into their own as adults. Always very smart uh, daughters, very strong daughters, good leaders, very disciplined in so many ways. So uh, again, just celebrate that because now as adults, they're just doing tremendous things as adults uh, in their own lives. You know, Leah's pursuing her uh, PhD at Penn and uh, is just good researcher, good student, good leader, good thinker, good scholar. Uh, and all of those things are true, whether I acknowledge them or not. I'm just fortunate enough to be her father. And then Han, on the other hand, is a, she's in a, a CPA and very disciplined in her career and has grown over the years, uh, worked for a large consulting company. Now she's uh, working at Cummins where she's uh, manager of accounting policy there and just doing an outstanding job there too. And again, both of their husbands accomplished in their own careers, both Jesse and Zach. So I'm just proud of all four of them. Uh, I think it's, it's what a privilege as a father of adult children to watch how they've grown up and grown into um, really, really outstanding contributors in their community and just good people, just really good people. So I'm just really privileged to be their dad and, and their mother, Beth is, uh, really deserves a lot of that credit uh, because she's, uh, again, a person of honesty, integrity, and uh, someone that uh, I admire. And and uh, really, they, they've they uh, they've got a lot of her strengths, and I, I really appreciate that. So, 
Yeah, I love the phrase. He's really privileged to be their dad. As our daughter Claire is growing up and kind of growing into her own, I often find myself just like looking at her and just be like, I do not deserve to be your father. Just fun, spunky, and creative. So privileged to be your dad is such a good term. So I couldn't help thinking about my experience and history and it was an incredibly male dominated field, not to like go down that road too much. And then also accounting, I presume is a pretty male dominated field. So are you able to speak to how that experience has been and what that's been like for them? You know, one of the things I've admired about both my daughters is because they're strong, uh, strong women, strong leaders. Uh, They've got a strong sense of self. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that, uh, Certainly in some environments that are more male dominant, it would be easy to be intimidated, but I I get a sense that either of them have allowed that to deter them or become a roadblock for them in any way. Uh, I think they have a strong sense of who they are, and I think they're both willing to speak out and be candid uh, about what their expectations are in the workplace, and uh, I think that's served them well. Again, I just... uh, I have every confidence that, uh, you know, whatever environment they're in, they're going to be themselves. And, and uh, I think that makes a huge difference. I think being self-confident and being secure in your own own identity, I think that's been true of both Leah and Hannah. And uh, I think that's helped them really become the people they are today. So, Yeah, that's got to be critical. I, was, I think there were maybe three three women in my yeah, my master's program. So certainly a lot of strong opinions in academia, just in general. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so switching gears, I can't help but have, you know, the current situation and coronavirus and COVID on my mind a little bit. And just getting to talk with you for even just this, you know, 20 minutes so far can, when we've always connected, I appreciate you just got this calm sense of reassurance about you that um, always makes me feel better. I was like, wake up this morning. I was like, yes, I get, well, to, talk, I get to talk with Marty. <laughs> like, I have no idea what's going on in the world, but at least like I get 30 minutes of just like Marty's in like calmness. So A, like, <laughs> do you feel like that's pretend, an accurate? It's all pretend. Yeah, that's what I was about to ask. Like, do you feel like that's an accurate representation of of yourself? Is that something that you strive for? <laughs> where, where, what makes me feel so comfortable with you on that? I'm, I'm good at hiding my my deeper anxiety, <laughs> and, and and I'm not just saying that. I mean, really, <laughs> there's some of that that's true, right? You know, I, I think for me, just um, I feel like there's some things I can control and things I can't control. I Interestingly enough, I'm glad you mentioned it. I've actually struggled with anxiety over the years. Uh, I've always been a person very vigilant. Uh, you know, people don't always sense that, but it's uh, maybe I'm good at hiding that. But I've, I've been a person who's really struggled with anxiety. And this isn't any different. I posted uh, yesterday on LinkedIn. It's hard not to feel anxiety and a, a sense of fear right now. Yeah. I think it would be uh, certainly, you'd almost have to be unaware not to be afraid. And, and so, I certainly am afraid. I'm afraid um, for the numbers of people who will not only get the virus, but might be exposed to death. And so I think we're all conscious of that right now. And I think being aware and being practical and social distancing and making sure that we're just being careful about the way we disinfect um, in our hands and keep our hands clean, as well as all the other things we need to be doing to be just, again, practical and and vigilant. I think that helps. I think it gives us something we can control that makes a difference, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think being responsible in that way. 
But I think the other part of that is I think staying connected to people, even though it's virtual, I think mm-hmm. that that helps too. We had an opportunity to FaceTime our daughters. Uh, I think it was last night or maybe the night before. And that, that was reassuring too. just being able to stay connected to your family and to be able to talk to them and kind of draw encouragement from each other. I've had an opportunity to connect with several friends uh, as well. And I think that that kind of ability to be able to kind of process some of that anxiety and that concern, I think helps. I think the hard part is when you bottle it up, I think it's much more difficult to mm-hmm. deal with because then you're dealing with it alone and you're dealing with it inside. So I think being able to verbalize that fear, I am afraid, uh, you know, sometimes I can come across calm or, or <laughs> maybe even maybe even mask it pretty good. I'm like everyone else right now. I'm, I'm super concerned about um, the next several weeks and months that uh, we get through this together and uh, the best we can. I think we can all be responsible. Uh, the more responsible we are about how we uh, have contact with people and uh, social distancing, as well as just making sure that we're disinfecting things we touch, things we put our hands on, I think will make a huge difference too. So, Yeah. I appreciate you sharing and, and the vulnerability of that, that you are afraid and you do have anxiety. I know I feel like God has put, I'm a big reader and I feel like God has put the right books in, in my hands at the right time. So right now I'm reading Resilience by um, Eric Grathens, Hard on Wisdom for a life worth living. Um, he's a Navy SEAL. It's a series of letters to one of his buddies. And I mentioned this in last episode, but he writes a lot about fear and anxiety and just that like so many people are encouraging us to like that a life free of fear and anxiety is the ultimate goal. And he kind of counters that and say, like fear and anxiety is a good sign that you're pursuing something worthwhile. Yeah. Um, and uh, certainly this situation is is a little different than just pursuing something by choice but i've been trying to kind of remind myself of that that like we are pursuing something worthwhile um be it for the church or in our professions and certainly in our families so on kind of a a more macro level what are some things that you have done throughout your life to help manage the the fear and anxiety of just typical raising kids job change advancing your career, um, things that you found success in just on a general outside of the current circumstances? You know, there's a number of things for me. I think having people you can talk to about it uh, helps. I think uh, for a number of years, I bottled it up. And and I think in recent years, being able to openly express some of my fear and anxiety and talk about it with friends and family and expose it and be able to at least identify what the source of that fear is. I think if you can identify the source of fear and anxiety, you can begin to address the circumstances around why you feel afraid. Um, I think that's part of it. I think part of it is being mindful. It's being aware of what you need to be afraid of and what you don't need to be afraid of, what things are really uh, have some kind of impending danger and what things don't. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think reading, I think reading gives you a, a better awareness of ways that you can cope with your fear. And so over the years, I've, I've just done a ton of reading, and that reading has helped me. I read books. I listen to books on audio, and that's helped me quite a lot. Uh, one of the things that's helped me, too, is exercise. Um, mm-hmm. Over the course of my life, uh, my exercise habits have, have gone up and down, but one of the things I've always enjoyed is playing basketball or playing some kind of sport outside of the home. Now I'm in my home and exercising, so my son-in-law, Jesse, set me up with a uh, a really good uh, road bike and trainer. And so I'm able to 
exercise in my home. And I think having some way to exercise in your home uh, during the social distancing time, you know, is helpful too, because it helps you really kind of exercise some of that anxiety and stress away. I've always found that to be a good way to deal with it. And certainly like a lot of other people, I also like <laughs> entertainment, you know, a good movie, yeah. good series. I'm watching Better Call Saul right now. And there's something about escaping to someone else's <laughs> you know, you know, story that helps too. So I, I love to, yeah. and I love to enjoy a good story, whether it's uh, through, through a movie or a series or even a book. So, so yeah. those are the ways I kind of, I've dealt with it over the years. So. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I was thinking, I think that's kind of how we originally connected with us all. Yeah, you post something about being on the trainer in the winter to get yeah. um, better. And, uh, yeah, I need to dust off my trainer, uh, certainly during these times. I think it's cool where technology allows. I know a lot of my friends are on um, Zwift and like Sufferfest and those other virtual things yeah. uh, for the trainer. So maybe it's time for me to join that bandwagon as well so it can kind of stay connected with endurance athletes uh, during this time. Something that you mentioned about sharing uh, those fears and anxieties. Sure. Kind of curious or what hit me was like how much you share maybe with your spouse when you have those concerns and also like in the workplace, like we said, there's, you know, we kind of wear the mask and whatnot as a leadership or, or whatever, but then there's a time for space. Anything that you do to kind of navigate how much to share, how much to withhold and when and where, why? Yeah. You know, I think you have to be a little more careful in the workplace, um, especially if you're in a leadership role about how much you share. I think some of that should be driven by, you know, what's appropriate to share in the workplace in terms of what you're afraid of. Uh, when I worked at Fusion, I was fairly transparent. When things were going well for my digital practice there, I shared it when things were challenging. Uh, when I first started in my digital practice at Fusion, things were challenging. And I shared that too, because I think the only way they can help you uh, deal with some of the challenges that you face organizationally uh, is for people to be aware of them, right? Mm -hmm. um, if the revenue is down or if you need more business or if you need to be more proactive about the way that you go after business, you know, people can only help you if they know about it. Right. And over the years, I think I've been a little more guarded about sharing some of my anxiety, but I'm becoming better at being transparent about that and being more authentic about that. I'm learning. Uh, and I say learning because I think my generation was a little bit more emotionally inhibited, uh, but uh, I'm learning to be much more transparent about that because the only way you really can get help with any of your fears or anxieties for, is for people to know about it. And so I'm, I'm certainly being more, more and more transparent about that through the years. But again, I, th I think in the workplace, you have to be a little gauged, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because you don't want everybody to be in a state of panic, but at the same time, sure. you want them to know enough about what the problems challenges are that they can help you address them. Because otherwise, and, and I think this is the part of where leaders need to learn a lesson, is if you always hide the tough stuff from your team members, if you're in a leadership role, they're not going to know how to help you or support you or, or to really, uh, they're not going to feel like they are getting honest communication. I think to the degree you can be authentic is, is helpful. One of the things I appreciated about Andrew Cuomo recently I don't know if you've been able to see his press briefings on New York. If you want to see a really good example of somebody I think who deals with it well, he's somebody I, I've learned to respect. Mm -hmm. And I have because he's factual. So he provides the facts and the data. So you, you're not, you're not uh, just reacting on emotion, uh, but he gives you the straight scoop. Mm -hmm. He's not telling you everything. He's going to be good in a week or two weeks. 
what he's telling you is he's saying, guys, better hunker down. We're in for we're in for a, a challenge here with uh, with the coronavirus. Uh, so I've appreciated that style of communicating, and, and I'm trying to adopt that uh, more and more. I did that when I was at Fusion, and, and I'm doing that now. So I think good leaders uh, are factual in the way that they are honest about things that they need to be concerned about. Uh, maybe not as emotional, but I think that's kind of where you need to where you need to be straight up and honest and straightforward. So, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to check him out. Definitely that the reality of how long a situation might occur is I think super important. Um, it's something that I've been uh, aware of for a while is I know that when I think about my past, I've been, um, I victims, not the right word, but, um, impact bias has, has been something I struggle with where like when I get past this thing or all right, two weeks and then everything will be perfect. But, um, that's never the reality. It's right. Constant, you know, just a constant practice. And especially in a, a time like this, just accepting that there is no finite timeline, uh, just being diligent and taking care of each other um, where we can. So, um, Marty, man, I, I love talking with you. Um, love what you're sharing with our audience. Um, just really sobering and practical and encouraging. And uh, so, what would be your final words of wisdom and advice for the fathers listening today? You know, I think uh, I think um, uh, if I had to say anything, it would be as, as dads, uh, you know, one of the things I, I, I tried to do. And I think, I think, uh, as a dad being vulnerable about your own brokenness, uh, you know, certainly as your kids are growing up, uh, letting them know that you're not perfect, helping them understand that, uh, even though you're doing the best you can, that, that you're, you're not perfect, that you have your own struggles. So, so maybe being, uh, helping them be more aware of that. I think at the same time, uh, creating an environment where your children feel loved and accepted and where they don't feel judgment, but, but are loved and accepted. I think that's one of the most important things you, you can do. Um, when I was in college, um, we went to a church, a Maple Grove Church of God in, in Anderson, Indiana, while I was going to college at Anderson University. And um, Greg Brown, who was the youth pastor there and also a, a new father, he would share with, uh, you know, parents in the, in the uh, kids and youth group, he would say, you know, uh, you're going to make mistakes as a father, but if you can communicate to your kids that they're loved and accepted and that they're not going to be judged for the behavior, uh, that'll go a long way to helping them become uh, healthy adults. And so, you know, that's something I tried to do and felt like I did in our home. That's something I would encourage fathers to do is to create that kind of environment where, your kids can be their the best version of themselves and grow up to be who who they were designed to be. So I think that's a, an important thing. Then one other thing that I heard too um, is be a student of your child's design. Understand that each child is unique; that they're not just like you as a parent or just like your spouse, but that they're their own unique uh, person with their own blend of uh, you know skills and abilities and personality traits, and to celebrate that. Uh, don't try to always shape them in your own image, but let them be who they are. I think that's an important uh, thing I would say too. Wow, man, you packed so much good stuff. I want to highlight two things that you said. Be vulnerable about your own brokenness. I think that's such a great term that I definitely want to incorporate more into my life and be a student of your child's design. Awesome. Marty, if anybody wants to connect with you, um, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, just reach out to me on email, uh, martin.samples uh, martin at gmail.com or, uh, you know, on LinkedIn. 
uh, either one of those places, uh, feel free to hit me up. I'd be happy to uh, connect with people. I'm always uh, looking forward to uh, connecting with new people and I'd uh, be happy to, happy to do that. So, Well, I appreciate that. And thank you uh, so much for joining us today. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. Glad to be on. Glad to always engage with you. You're always, you're always interesting to talk to. So thank you. <laughs> appreciate that. Yeah. Hey guys, I hope you liked today's episode with Marty Samples. I know I love just getting to experience his calm, that zen-like energy that he brings and just love and appreciate his vulnerability and an openness that is not, you know, that he struggles with anxiety too, that he's afraid to um, and and how he copes with that. And uh, I think that's so important right now um, that it is important to maintain that sense of calm and maintain that Zen-like and that we can do both at the same time and, and to have your people in your corner that you can share those anxieties with and to know those healthy places where you can share those and to be cognizant uh, of the other areas where maybe you do need to soldier on and keep soldiering through, um, but definitely have your places and share. And if you need to reach out, you can reach out to, to me at Ryan at fatherhoodonfire.com. Love to connect with you, share some encouragement, pray with you, pray for you. Um, whatever we can do for each other. Um, I know I love getting to reach out to friends and love having people reach out to me. So as much encouragement we can send each other right now, Uh, we need to keep doing that keep supporting father on fire keep sharing Um, every time we share we help another father Uh, just know that that we're out there supporting each other embracing this journey that is fatherhood Uh, so go have another great week love yourselves love your family and fatherhood i'm ryan sullivan